It was a Lord's Day in June, in 1625, the year when Charles I came to the throne, and I remember how in church that morning I was divided in mind between a wish that Mr. O'Kell should finish his sermon quickly and let us all out into the sweet sunshine, and a reluctance towards the visit at Little Holroyd, which would follow the morning's service. For myself, I was well content to listen to Mr. O'Kell's exhortation, which was a learned discourse on the sacraments from a text in Corinthians, for we Clarksons have always been fond of our book, and eager to learn new things. But David, my little brother, my dear charge since our mother's death at his birth four years before, was growing drowsy beneath the heat and the length of the vicar's peroration. His blue eyes blinked and closed, his hot little fingers softened in my grasp, his fair head fell forward on his plump chest. He was asleep. William frowned and shook his arm. David started awake and looked about him, and his smooth cheeks flushed with the shame of finding himself misbehaving in church. But soon his sleepy little head nodded again, so Will, colouring and looking cross, took the child gently in his lap. To look cross and act gently was like my elder brother Will, with his long, glum face and lank, loose-jointed body. I never could determine whether it was his big, skew nose or his large, pursed mouth or his crooked, bushy eyebrows or the rough brown hair hanging unevenly on his bony shoulders, which gave him that harassed and perplexed but warm and obstinate air. I was uneasy as I looked at him that day. What make of a girl was this Elizabeth Thorpe, I wondered, who had so bewitched our homely will? Would she prove a good wife for a minister of religion, which dear William had firmly set himself to be? The Thorpes were rich. Thorpes of the Breck at Little Holroyd had been master clothiers for generations past, and owned many closes of land besides. Would they be content to give their daughter to a yeoman's son? My father, Robert Clarkson, was a good scholar, a churchwarden of Bradford Church, an upright and honest man, and a master clothier too. But though I was then only a child of eleven years old, I knew already, as children do, that others could always overreach my dear father when it came to trade, and trade has ever been thought much of in Bradford Town. I loved my father so well that I often knew what was in his mind, although I did not altogether understand it. I knew, when the widow Lister asked him to take her son as apprentice, and he denied her and sent her to Mr. Thorpe, that the denial was a grief to him, though I did not know why. I knew, when a month ago I saw him standing with Mr. Thorpe by the loom in the upper chamber in our house in Fairgap, where Joshua Lister used to work, that it was more than a fault in the unfinished cloth that made my father look so sad. I knew, when Will told us, in his rapid, jerky speech, of his affection for this Mistress Elizabeth, that my father for some reason was troubled by Will's choice. So I was loath to dine at Holroyd Hall, for my father's sake, and uneasy at the outcome of the visit, for Will's. Some children would have been eager to see a new place and strange folk, but I had lived so close at home, always about my father, that I was shy. The sermon was over now, and the grammar school boys sang, and my father and Mr. Thorpe walked into the vestry before the vicar, carrying their churchwarden's wands.
My father at that time was of very tall stature, with his hair a silvery grey and his face somewhat hollowed. Indeed, he was excessively thin in all parts of his person, persisting, in spite of all our good Sarah urged on him, in a very spare diet. Then, as always, he was very gentle. Indeed, his grey eyes, though they had a lively sparkle, were the gentlest, kindest eyes, I think, that ever looked out of any man's head. He was apt to splutter a little in his speech, especially when, as often happened, he had some merry quip or scholarly moral he was eager to tell the company. But his language was always very neat and well-chosen. Indeed, he used finer and better words than any man in Bradford save Mr. O'Kell. Walking beside him now, Mr. Thorpe, with his blunt, high-coloured face and his twinkling little eyes, looked very square 